and grace grant to us in your presence and for the whole of our lives a peace, a willingness to sit and hear and to have our lives conformed not to this world but transformed by your word unto the renewing of our minds. Grant to us then all that is promised us in your word that we might be, even now, your holy children, devoted to love and good deeds. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. So, um, after Presbytery, normally what men will do is swap pulpits. But you know what? I don't like sleeping out of my house. I don't like... Leaving, I've become, as I get older, more and more of a homebody. My wife will attest to this. I just want to be at home. And when I've been gone for a, a few days or a day and a half, okay, that's not long, at Presbytery, I just want to come home. I don't want to go to anybody else's house. I want to stay here. Uh, but that also means that in order to prepare for Presbytery and to spend that day and a half there at the end of the week, focusing on matters of Presbytery and not secret sermon writing, um, I need to pull one out of the hopper, as they say. So that's what I'm doing this morning and this evening. But I hope psalms that are at least to some degree on theme, especially with what we're looking at in the morning. Psalm 46 is a psalm written by the sons of Korah that speak of the stronghold who is our triune Lord. Now, in the Psalter, there are essentially five divisions, five books and it has been said, and I think rightly so, that those five sections of the Psalter reflect five themes that we find in the Torah. Well, really, five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This Psalm 46 rightly belongs to the books that sort of follow in theme the book of Exodus. And so you find in this section many psalms devoted to the theme of the Lord our Deliverer, Christ our Stronghold, Christ delivering us from the land of Egypt, the land of sin. And so you find that theme repeated over and over. And so Psalm 46 this morning, Psalm 42 and 43 this evening. And I hope by God's grace uh, they will be for us not only a means of encouragement but how we are to think of our relationship to God expressed even on earth while we experience trials, uncertainty, struggles, suffering, persecution even. Though we may not experience it, we know men and women and children who do. And it is right for us to remember that God is our stronghold. Now, from the outset, let me say this. Just because we are protected by God in the manner of our covenant union with him, and that covenant union that cannot be broken, it does not mean that we will not experience hardship in this life. This is not a physical stronghold into which we run, or it is not expressed always and only physically, but it speaks to our covenant union with God that no man can break. And this covenant union is one of spiritual protection, eternal protection, and so he is an eternal refuge. It is a life-giving refuge, 
And it is a refuge, it is a union, it is a covenant fellowship that by God's grace expands. It is a kingdom whose walls grow and it will one day cover over all the earth. And so I want us to look at this God, this triune Lord, who is our exalted stronghold under three headings. The first, a holy life-giving fortress. Second, a living, organically growing fortress. And then thirdly, the kingly office of Christ Jesus. The kingly office of Christ Jesus. Let's look at this first point this morning, a holy life-giving fortress. Now, the psalm begins, God is our hope and our strength. Some of your translations may say refuge and fortress. Same idea. God is our hope, our strength, and help in troubles ready to be found. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth be moved and that the mountains fall into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof rage and be troubled and the mountains shake at the surges of the same. There is language here that is apocalyptic language that speaks of the judgment of God upon earth. We see this even in Revelation chapter 6. And you see this language throughout the scriptures. It does not refer to the end of time. It refers to um, not just the effects of sin upon the world and the chaos due to the fall, but also the judgment and wrath of God that is poured out upon those who are outside the boundaries of the fortress. And not only that, but there is this idea of attacks coming from without the world, the flesh, the devil, that within the fortress, in our union with the triune Lord, we find protection from that which lies without, beyond, outside of the borders of our covenant fellowship with him. And so to dwell in covenant with the Lord, to dwell in covenant with Yahweh, is to know the protection of those who would come against the people of God and also to know the protection of the judgment and wrath of God that he is pouring out upon the nations. All of this has happened. Why do the nations rage? Why do the kings of earth endeavor to take over the throne of Christ? Yet Christ is in the midst of us. There are two very different kinds of realities that are enjoyed or experienced by men. There is, the, there is the experience that we have in fellowship with God, and there is peace. And then there is the experience of those who are outside of covenant fellowship with God, and there is only sin and misery. This is the part that many of your churches did not tell you about when you were growing up. That there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are in covenant union with Christ and enjoy him and all of his benefits. <clears throat> and then there are those who are outside of covenant fellowship with God and know only misery and pain. Now, they may know other things, right? There are things in the world that are unjust or seem to be unjust. Why do the wicked flourish? Why do the righteous perish? But of course, that present circumstance when it is viewed in light of eternity, we see that in fact the wicked will perish and the righteous will flourish. That we must open the aperture of our eyes, our minds, and our hearts, and we must see things in light of eternity. 
That's why Psalm 49 ought to be your theme psalm right now. If ever there was a psalm that you ought to memorize. And when I say memorize, the one we just sang, it is a perfect, it is a perfect combination of writing and tune and music. There's something about that tune that is a bit melancholy. It forces you to sort of think and sing slower and to meditate upon the language of Psalm 49. The righteous will flourish, the wicked will perish. That we are to have that perspective. In the same way, in our covenant fellowship with God, we find in him a holy, life-giving fortress. He protects us from the danger that is without. And within, we find a garden. In fact, there is much language in Psalm 46 that reminds us even of Eden. That in covenant fellowship with God, we are protected from the dangers outside of the wall, but inside there is sweet, refreshing, life-giving presence. There is a river. There is a river. This river of life is none other than a representation of Christ himself. Yet there is, verse 4, a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, even the sanctuary of the tabernacles of the Most High. It is sweet, it is refreshing, it is beautiful, it is pastoral, and all of this because Christ is in the midst of this covenant fellowship. This is poetic language, used to describe a spiritual reality, a covenantal reality that we have, that we enjoy because we have been brought into the city of God, a garden city, a fortress, a castle. And because God, verse 5, is in the midst of that sanctuary, that city, that fortress, it shall never be moved. It cannot be Well, the gates, the walls, cannot be overtaken. There is no enemy, there is no thief that can enter into that city. Christ himself says, the thief endeavors to go over the wall, but you must and can only enter by me, who is the door. Those attempts are always failures. Babel is proof of this. What were men endeavoring to do by building a city to the glory of their name? They were endeavoring to get back, in some sense, into that garden from which they had been removed because of the sin of men. They were endeavoring to have peaceful fellowship with God, yet it was ineffective in its objective. Why? Because you cannot delight or enter into covenant fellowship outside of God's own provided means. Which is why man's efforts always look religious and cultic, cultic meaning religious in nature. Why are these other religions? Where do they come from? They come from hearts that are deeply desirous to be in fellowship with their maker. And because they are cut off and separated from the Lord of life, they are not inspired by the word, but by their own imaginations. But not so for the believer, not for those who dwell in covenant with God. We are protected from without, 
We are blessed and renewed from what we find or the one whom we find within, that is Christ Jesus, because we delight and we fellowship in union with the maker, our redeemer. And so what we find in Christ Jesus, what we find in fellowship with God is a holy life-giving fortress. And then second, we find a living, organically growing fortress. So we read, when the nations raged and the kingdoms were moved, God thundered and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And so there is this exquisite cathedral built by and for the glory of God into whom we run and we are safe. But when the nations see this, verse 8, Come and behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease into the ends of the world. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear and burneth the chariots with fire. And then there is this invitation. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in the earth. Yesterday I was talking with someone about whether or not he had dogs. He said, I have two dogs. One dog I found when I was driving down the road and he was just a mangy mutt. Hair was dirty and have you ever seen a mangy dog? It's sad, it's pitiful. Ticks all in his ears. And he took that dirty, disgusting animal and he cleaned him up and he brought him home. It's a good dog. Every single one of us was in some fashion a mangy mutt, a slave to sin. I don't mean disheveled hair. I mean a disheveled life. A life that does not reflect the peace and the beauty And the glory of dwelling in a society in which Christ is confessed to be Lord. And so when the psalmists speak of this fortress that is union with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though they would not name the three persons, because this is before the revelation of Christ Jesus as God, and the Holy Spirit, who is like Christ, God, himself sent by the Father and the Son into the world, there is these, there are these emissaries sent out of the city to declare that there is peace. If you wish to be free or flee from the wrath of God and the judgment of his righteous decrees, you must come into the city. Peace, declarations of peace. This is why we call Christ the Prince of Peace. And so the fortress into whom we run and are safe is a fortress that conquers and converts. Now the church oftentimes gives up her identity as the fortress and endeavors to be like the world. Or there are those who are more reformed and orthodox in their piety in life and they say, well, the reform, this fortress in which we dwell, we don't want to... We don't want to ruin it by adding more. Children, it's like when your parents have another baby and all of a sudden you get a little less attention. The love is spread a little thinner. (laughs) They love you. 
But that baby needs a lot of care in the beginning, and there oftentimes is a little bit of tension. <laughs> we think of the growth of the church in that way. What would happen to Reformation OPC if all of a sudden we added 20 visitors that knew nothing about the word? Right? Who were a little saltier, maybe? Maybe not quite as put together as we are, right? You know what I mean? The height of arrogance and pride keeps us from being emissaries of the fortress. And so if this place of refuge is covenantal union with Christ, it isn't a place, it is a covenantal reality. And even now, while we enjoy that covenantal reality, we are called, while the gate is open and the drawbridge is down, to go out into the world, into that place of enslavement and sin and chaos and death, and we are to say, like Jeremiah and the prophets of old and the apostles of the New Testament, come in where there is safety and refuge. Now, in order to do this, what must we warn the world of? Safety and refuge from what? From what? Not political ailments. Not mere social ailments. But a God of wrath and justice. From the assault of Satan. From a life of misery and pointlessness. The declaration of covenantal union is one of judgment, but also what? How one is able to flee from judgment. As John said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. As Christ said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We must too say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is why it is a living, because Christ is in the midst of her, Organically growing fortress. I don't mean we're free range, locally sourced, fair trade. No. The fortress of God is made up of organic beings, people. And the church grows by the reclamation of human souls. And it takes some time. In fact, it takes much longer than we would like, right? And I can think of no greater reason that God would have it take a while than to teach us patience and to remind us that it is not up to us. We were, as we do at every Presbyterian meeting, there's a sermon at the beginning of our meeting. We have a, a mini worship service. We sing, we are preached to, and then we begin our deliberations. The, the Presbytery is really a church meeting. It's a meeting of the regional church. Uh, Pastor Blair, who's at Redeemer in Charlotte, preached on Noah. And he asked some questions that you don't normally ask about Noah. The first one was, what was Noah's occupation? Well, he says that Peter tells us Noah was a preacher. He was a preacher. And the point that Mr. Pastor Blair made was that the, the ark was his sermon for a hundred years. Noah was preaching to those who were his neighbors 
that the judgment of God is coming. One hundred years, the same sermon. (laughs) Makes me feel a little bit better about (laughs) variety. But that, that material thing, that ark, was the sermon that every minister ought to preach. And it is the same sermon that you and I carry around in our chests everywhere we go. And it is this, flee to Christ so that you might avoid the wrath that is to come. But we as Christians, A, don't even like to think about the wrath of God because, ooh. And second, we don't like to tell people about the wrath of God because, you know, nobody likes to be the bearer of bad news, do they? But the reality is this, that the fortress that is covenantal fellowship with God grows through the proclamation of the sky is falling and you are no chicken little. And they may look at you like it, a naysayer, a doomsday guy, you weirdo. But the fortress that is covenant fellowship with God is the only way we will be safe, not only from what is coming, but even in this life. How blessed are those who die in Christ? Is this not what Psalm 49 is about? Is not death a merciful, if not brutal reminder that all of us end up just like our pets, dead and in the ground? Now for man... We possess an eternal soul that will never die. And so as Christians, we have this eternal perspective. It is an eternal covenantal union that we have with the Lord. And the way in which we enjoy that eternal union, that never-ceasing immortal glory, is that we in this life flee to Christ for salvation. And today is the day, is it not? It is because God will bring judgment upon all of those who are caught outside the gate. And the purpose of God's bringing war against the nations is a kind of holy force, a holy expression of lordship that will bring all war to an end. Christ himself speaks to us and says, be still and know that I am God. In verse 9 we read, he, this is Christ Jesus, maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the world. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear and burneth the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, and I will be exalted in all the earth. With the furthering of the fortress that is our fellowship in Christ Jesus, God will turn enemies into brothers and sisters. There was this political idea that democracies do not go to war with democracies. This is a lie. It is a secular political lie. The greatest testimony of this is people within democracies go to war. 
in this democracy. Do you see peace? Do you see peace? And man may endeavor to invent and develop all kinds of ways to bring war to an end. But boy, sin is lodged deep in the hearts of men. Selfishness, a desire for power. But it is God alone who brings an end to war. That he is, even now, not only redeeming the nations, but the promise for the future is that one day there will only be citizens within the city. That all will dwell in the garden fortress. That all will drink from the river of life. That Christ himself, by his work, and not only Christ, only the Son, but the Father and the Spirit together, are laboring to bring an end to the church militant. And so he says to us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, and I will be exalted in the earth. Now, verse 10 should be and can be a sermon of its own especially for us in our hurried days where you can't do anything without distraction. And there are all of these things that are calling for our attention. And verse 10 says, shh, stop. (laughs) Put it down. Look at me. Focus upon what I have to say. Be still and know that I am God. And as we even have regular examples of our children and the inability to be still. I remember when I was a kid and I got a, a cut on my face, I decided it would be fun to impress my father by throwing up a rock into the air. The problem was I didn't move out of the way. And so I dented. In fact, you can still feel the dent in my skull. <laughs> I got to drive to the hospital in my uncle's Porsche. But when we got there, I was beside myself, knowing that he'd have stick a needle in my skull, my cranium. And so I went crazy. And that's when they pulled out the papoose. You know what a papoose is? It is an implement of torture. And it is this plastic or resin board that has Velcro straps, and they strap me down. Now... It was already bad that I didn't want to get a stitch in the top of my head. What made it even worse, though it was necessary, was to be strapped to this piece of plastic. It just obviously set me off. There are times in which the saints of God must be reminded and brought into the stillness of the fellowship with God. And church often feels to us like getting strapped down. The duty of it. I wonder what your houses looked like just an hour ago versus what this room looks like. Shh! (laughs) The chaos of the life that is just outside the doors of this local church. And then we gather here and we are still. Or those nights when you put the kids to bed. So nice. (laughs) And for all of that desire for stillness, 
It is hard for the church to embrace one in seven. And to our detriment. In fact, we don't really just want stillness, do we? We want stillness on our own terms. We want to schedule those appointments with the Lord. Lord, at um, 9.30 I'll be at church if you'll just show up and give me that blessing. But this call, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in all the earth. We have to learn to be still without being strapped down. And in fact, I would argue that this is one of the great measurements. This is the litmus test of Christian piety. Christian piety is expressed by not talking and simply listening. To the voice of God. Now, when I say the voice of God, I don't mean a private prayer language. I'm not speaking of just saying, Lord, all right, talk to me. You will not hear anything. But what you will do is you open the word of God. You will see and you will hear and you will understand what the word has for you, what the God has for you out of his word. The spirit speaks through the preaching, the teaching, the reading of his word. And what we read and hear over and over again in the scriptures, in fact, the whole theme of scripture is that God will exalt himself through his son, Christ Jesus. That Christ exalts himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the fulfillment of that in Revelation chapter 5 is that Christ takes the throne And as king, our shorter catechism says that as Christ is king, he subdues us to himself. He rules and defends us, and then he restrains and conquers all of his and our enemies. He's conquered our hearts, and he conquers the hearts of the world. Or he brings those who have not been conquered. In grace, he brings upon them judgment. And so the way in which this fortress expands is through the mission and work of Christ Jesus by his Holy Spirit. And just look at how the fortress has grown. Think of all whom God, by his grace, has brought into the fellowship of the Godhead because the ultimate emissary of this kingdom is the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon the earth. The reason, the reason why men preach and people respond is because God has sent out his Holy Spirit into all the earth. And so he calls, he preserves, he rules, he defends, and he conquers. And we see that happening. That because Psalm 46 is true, the church is what she is. The Lord of hosts is with us, verse 11. The God of Jacob is our refuge. It is a repetition of the first verse. In fact, we look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. These reminders 
of why things are the way they are on earth is because God is with us and he is our refuge. We are who we are because God is with us and he is our refuge. The way the world is the way it is is because God is with us. Because the single factor, the singular factor that affects all that we see, all that we do, all that we know, is because God is Emmanuel. He is our creator, and he is our ever-present redeemer. And as the church militant, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is not against principalities and powers of the earth, but of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It is not the church versus the state. It is Christ's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. And the promise for us is this. One kingdom is growing and the other kingdom is shrinking. Now you may say, well... It doesn't look like it. I was talking to my mom yesterday on the telephone, and she said that they were visiting with some missionaries who are planting churches in England. And in Great Britain right now, 10% of the people confess Christ. 10%. That's not a very large number, is it? When Noah began his building effort as a minister of the word, And as a carpenter, he started with seven, and a hundred years later, seven entered the ark. Zero growth. But do we call Noah's ministry a success? Yes. How do we know it? (laughs) Because we live thousands of years after it. Seven. The whole world was covered by godless heathens. Do you think the Lord can and will and continue to do many wondrous and glorious things, now especially because his Holy Spirit is being poured out over all the earth? The answer to that question is absolutely yes. I guess what I'm saying is this. We need to open our aperture as it relates to our understanding of the success of the kingdom of God, not just beyond the local church, Reformation OPC, or our regional church, the Presbytery of the Southeast, or our denomination, the OPC. But to trace from the beginning of time two people to the days in which we live now, and however many thousands of years remain, I don't know, but Christ will continue to express his kingly office on earth as it is in heaven because the promise has been given to us that he is with us. And that because he is with us, we can be confident of glorious things which are promised to us in his word. Christ will bring in the nations and Christ will end all wars. Such that when Christ returns, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Death itself. Revelation 21, we see a glimpse of what this Psalm 40 looks like in the future. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Do you believe this promise? Do you see that this expression of global, kingly, righteous reign has already begun and that Christ is bringing in the nations. He will be exalted and he will one day finish what he has begun. But for now, my clear exhortation to you is this. Be still and know that he is God. Be still. Come and behold the works of the Lord. These are the exhortations. Come and see. Be still. Now, where do we go to? What do we come to in order to be reminded that God's promises and purposes are true? We go to the cross upon which Christ was crucified. We go to the word where we read of Christ's conquest. We find in the word Christ's victory over death, the grave, and hell. And we meditate upon that as the as that which affects all that which we see, even though we cannot see Christ, we see him in his word. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, come and behold the works of the Lord. Be still and know that he is God. Let's pray.